Good morning. Morning to you here in our sanctuary, those of you watching online. We are in our second um, big dis- installment, or I should say third, really, in the, in the life of the book of Genesis, in the book of Genesis. We started with the uh, opening chapters back in the fall, if you were here, in a message series titled Rise and Fall. And those chapters really set the groundwork for all that God wants to do in calling a people, which he started with in Abraham, which we started with in the month of January, looking really at the life of Abraham, which is, we called that series The Way Forward, because the way forward is the life of faith, right? God has, we live in a world that is complicated, that is broken, that in some ways is organized against God in a manner of speaking. And the first 11 chapters of Genesis, things just kind of go to seed. Man's best laid plans um, don't materialize. That's what we learned in the, in the Rise and Fall series. And then God says, but I'm not done with mankind. I'm going to call him forward. And I have a way that I'm going to offer to all people as a way forward through this world. Um, and to accomplish God's purposes, his call for our lives. It's called faith, right? Faith is the way forward. Abraham becomes the father of faith. He becomes the model. And we see this lived on in the rest of the book of Genesis in these great what we call patriarch men uh, stories, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this morning, the second installment, I should say third installment of the Genesis series is on the life of Jacob, the blessing. Abraham dies in Genesis chapter 24, and one chapter later, where we are today, Genesis 25, we see the birth of his grandson. Isaac gets a little pressed, but really the next major lesson, the next major player in the life of this story is his grandson, Jacob. And Jacob takes up, we'll see, almost half of the book of Genesis. He actually gets more press, more words, more, more, more sections in the Bible than even his grandfather, Abraham. He starts here in Genesis 25. He doesn't die until the very last chapter of the book of Genesis. But the portrait that we get here as we look at the life of Jacob, begin to do that this morning, I would suggest to you is, is much richer and much more complex than you see either in Abraham, the God-fearing Abraham, or even in his father Isaac. And it has all the major events of Jacob's life are here. His birth, we'll see this in a minute. His, his marriage, his children, his, his grandchildren. Well, he births the nation of Israel. His, his name is Israel. We see all this take place, but not only do we see the major events in his life, we see his dreams and his thoughts and even his feelings. But unlike the god fearing Abraham or the compliant Isaac, Jacob is seen as someone who is self-absorbed in ways. Jacob is seen as someone who is self-reliant. And in a sense, every, everyone Jacob comes into con- contact with, he is in conflict with. It's almost like his, sometimes people use this term, the trouble of Jacob. It's like his whole life from the beginning is defined by conflict. Very little comes easy to Jacob, but with an eye on the blessing of God, which is the title of this series, he endures and he prevails. And over time, he comes to bear the name that eventually the people of God come to bear, take on the name Israel, which means one who struggles with God. So if you have a copy of the Bible... Let's dive in. Genesis 25. 
It's where we first hear the name Jacob. Genesis 25, verses 19 through 26, in a message titled, The Conflicted Call of God. The Conflicted Call of God. Follow along as I read. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, from Padam Aram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you, you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first came out and was red and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The conflicted call of God. We learn a lot of things about the call of God from Jacob. A couple this morning. The first one I would say is that the call of God for your life, the, God, the call of God for my life, is often not what you expected. It would be. It's often not what you expected it would be. Now let's take a minute and think about what we just learned in these verses. Abraham became the father of Isaac. He's 40 years old. He's been married 20 years, uh, or I'm sorry, he was, um, uh, Isaac was 40 years old when he got married, but he's 60 years old at the birth of this child. So for 20 years, no children. Just like his father and mother, this family is defined by childlessness. But Isaac prays for his wife, verse 22. God answers that prayer, but it's interesting, almost immediately, before the children are even born, there's trouble, right? The Lord said to her, she goes, what's going on inside of me? What's happening to me? She goes to the Lord with this great question. She says, listen, I'll tell you what's going on. You're having twins, which seems like a blessing, but there's already a conflict. They, are, they will be separated. That's a, that's, a, that's a nice way of saying they're going to be in conflict with each other. And not only will these two boys and these two nations, Israel and Edom as they come to be called, not only will they be in conflict with each other, but the chosen one, the person at the center of this story by the time you get to the end, Jacob, he is in sense in conflict with everybody. He's in conflict with the world because of this word from God. That's what we learn, right? Why is he in conflict? Rebecca says, listen, something's not right. And that something not right is the conflict that is within here, within these two sons. But what really stirs the pot here, what really makes things difficult, is this declaration in verse 23. Not only are you having twins, not only are they going to be in conflict with her, but let me tell you why they're going to be in conflict with each other. They're going to be in conflict because I'm making a declaration. I'm not giving an explanation. I'm telling you why. I'm going to change the calculus of the way things are done. The older shall serve the younger. I'm not going to tell you why. There doesn't any, you know, God doesn't give any explanation for why he says it, but he makes this declaration. And that particular declaration is what sets all the trouble in the lives of these two young boys 
and what comes out of the nations that comes out of both of them. I want you to think about what happens here. What he's saying here in these verses is, you know, the older shall serve the younger, is he's talking about the law of the firstborn. Now we talked about this a little bit last week if you were here in God saying, offering Isaac. Yes, that was a big deal, but he was offering Isaac because the whole Old Testament, not only the social system, but the, and the legal system was based on this idea of the firstborn. It wasn't just one law among many, like the kosher food laws or some small law like that. It was the linchpin of the entire society of Israel was the law of the firstborn. This law, which striped also into the worship system, was how everyone else understood their place in society. The law of the firstborn. And the society had lived that way forever. You see it baked into the Old Testament covenant later on in the opening books of the Bible. But God says, listen, I'm gonna do something here. I'm gonna turn this whole thing on its head. You're gonna, I'm answering your prayer. Here are the two sons. They're gonna be two nations, but I wanna make a declaration right Right now, that in this case, with this family, with these two boys, the older is going to serve the younger, not the younger is going to serve the older. This was the cause of all the trouble in Jacob's life for many, many years to come. And the, and the, and the question that Rebecca asks here in verse 22, you might say that this question is the question for all people who choose to follow God's call for their life. You might say, well, that's interesting, Rob. Uh, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. I don't think God has a call for my life. Yes, he does. Ephesians chapter four. Live, live a life worthy of the call that you have received. Every single person who's a follower of Jesus Christ, including all of you listening to me today, if you're a Christian, God has a call on your life. To be a Christian is to answer the call. And what Rebecca, answer, what Rebecca says here in verse 22, I would say to you, is a question that all people, including me and you, have to answer if we're serious about the call for our life. And is, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? Think about this. Think about that question in light of the biblical narrative. How about Moses? Who Moses, who, who, was, who was, had this beautiful first part of his life. He was the prince of Egypt. He was, you know, went to all the great schools. He was the, you know, connected to Pharaoh himself. And all of a sudden, Moses takes some things into his own hands. He goes ahead and decides he's going to identify with his historic people, uh, Israel. And he gets in a, a, a tussle with somebody. And next thing you know, all of the, 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 the attitudes and, and, the, and, and the popularity turns against Moses. He's on the run, leaving the place where he'd spent all of his life. And he's living living in a desert for the next 40 years. How? What is? Why is this happening to me? Right, Moses might have said to himself. How about David, anointed king of Israel, right? As a young man, David and Goliath, he's this great leader. Saul has killed his thousands. David is tens of thousands. And God brings Nathan the prophet there and they anoint David king. And you could not have had more promise in your life than David had when he was a very young man. He was told he would be the king of Israel. Now, if someone told you you're gonna be the king of one of the most powerful nations around, wouldn't you think that you're, this is the beginning of a good life? This is the beginning of things getting better. I'm up and to the right. That's not what happened with David. For the next many years, David was on the run. And David found himself this close to death, living in a cave. And he said to himself, why, oh why, God, is this happening to me? How about Jeremiah? 
if you know that story, the great prophet Jeremiah, who's called by God from, if almost from his youth, very, very young. God calls him forward as almost an adolescent, as a child, and calls him and said, listen, I got a special assignment for you. I want you to be a prophet, to go to the most important people in Israel and call the people of God back to me. And Jeremiah does it for 23 years, right? The anointing of God in his life. And finally, they said, we're sick and tired of hearing what this guy had to say, and they throw him in a pit, God, what is happening to me? How about Peter and Paul, the champions of the New Testament, who write much of the New Testament, who both find themselves in prison with shackles on, stripes on their back. Why is this happening to me? Some of you know I spent a year in the former Yugoslavia as a missionary almost 20 years ago. It was a great experience and you know, in many ways, you know, it was a hard thing to do, right? Some of you have done this or have family members or friends that have done this. You know, to say yes to this opportunity, there was this war back in the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, we, you know, this, this kind of uh, in, in South Central Europe, and there was a lot of trouble and difficulty and ethnic cleansing, and I was there with a mission organization, and I saw this opportunity, and I said, God, do you want me to do this? I'm going to go, and there were some, I had to make some big decisions. I had to say goodbye to some things, and it was a challenge, but when I got there, I've said this before. You know, I was there for one year. It was one of the most spiritually significant times in my life. I can look back now almost 20 years and tell you that that year that I spent there had more to do with shaping who I am as a Christian in a good way, shaping who I am as a minister than any other major experience I've done in my life. It was a, once I got there, I'd say in a manner of speaking, it was a series of spiritual highs, okay? The last weekend I was there, 12 months. The last weekend I was there, someone knocked on my door, told this story. Two guys with ski masks on and a gun and came in and beat me and tied me up and robbed me. Now I survived. Okay? I survived, of course. But I thought to myself, God, here, I, that very weekend, 48 hours later, I was in my going away party with bruises on my face that I couldn't hide. I thought, God, why is this happening to me? Such a great year, such a great opportunity. This whole year has been the spiritual high of my whole life, and here I am at the last weekend. Could you not have prevented this? Why is this happening to me? What's the point? To be faithful to God's call brings conflict. Listen very carefully. It brings conflict because God is in conflict with the way the world is organized. Think about that. God's calling me and calling you, whatever he's calling you to do, to do your thing in the world. But God Almighty is in conflict, has been since day one, with not the people of the world, but the way on which the world is organized. So for me, to you, to be faithful to God's call means at some point I'm gonna run into a world that is organized, that God himself is in conflict with. John 15, listen to these words carefully. This is what Jesus is trying to tell his disciples. If the world hates you, see, they, that's what they were feeling. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. That's what Jesus is saying. Take a breath. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world that is why the world hates you. 
Listen, God may not be calling me or you to found a nation. God may not be calling me or you to be the king of a nation. But God is calling you to be faithful to many things. I don't, you know, this is a very simple list, right? If you're married in this room, probably most of you or many of you are. God's called you to be faithful in your marriage. Even when you wake up and say, it's not what I expected it to be, right? Well, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. I didn't think this was going to show up. I didn't think he or she would do that. I didn't think cancer was going to show up. I didn't think job reversal was going to show up. I didn't. This is not what I expected it to be, right? How about your job? You know, whatever God's called you to do, whatever, whatever you do, it's a calling, right? Serve the Lord, but not with your eye on your master, but realize that anything you do, God is your boss. You're supposed to have integrity where you work. Well, it's not what I expected it to be. My boss is a jerk, and, and they don't pay me enough, and, and things aren't organized the way I would organize them. It's not what I expected it to be. But your job is where you live out your calling. It's where I live out my calling. How about your walk with God? Well, it's not what I expected it to be. It's, it, you know, it's, I'm not always hearing from God, and, it's, and I got better things to do with my time, and it's too difficult. It's not what I expected it to be. Right? How about sharing the gospel? with people all around us and all that who, 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 are, who are lost and without hope in, in, in everyday ways in, the, in, in your network of relationships. This is what God has called, well, it's not what I expected it to be. People don't listen to me. They turn, you know, they, 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 they're, they're, I, always get the, I always get rejected. It's not what I expected it to be, okay? It's the first thing we learn from the life of Jacob, the conflicted call of God. But there's great news in this passage too. It's not what you expect it to be, but in another sense, the call of God is far more than you expected it to be. Far more than you expected it to be. God's choice, think very carefully about this, of Jacob upturning everything on its head you know, kind of changing the calculus of, of, of everything. The, I want to give you these children, but the older shall serve the younger. I'm going to turn these things on its head, which causes a lot of trouble for Jacob. Not only does God's choice go against the social and legal systems of his day, but it's a theological curveball, unlike anything else uh, that had happened before or since in the Bible. To choose the younger over the older, remember the, the, the birthright and the blessing are connected to the, the, the blessing from God. We'll see that in a second. To choose the younger over the older is to arrange blessing in an alternative way. Just like there are ways in which we understand the world works this way, the taller people get this, the, you know, the sharper people get that, you know, the richer, you know, there, there's the, the world has a certain way in which it's organized, so does the church often, right? So-and-so gets blessed. She, th they came from the right family, and God says, listen, I'm not only going to organize the world in a different way, socioeconomically and legally, the older shall serve the younger, the same's going to go with the blessing of God. Because along with this birthright switcheroo that God does here, Jacob now gets the blessing from God. And in the process, Jacob becomes, listen very carefully, the visible expression of God's grace in the face of accepted definitions of reality even in the church, right? Jacob becomes a, an object lesson 
about the grace of God. Jacob becomes the visible expression of God in the accepted faces of reality. One writer said this, listen very carefully. By the inverted promise of God, the older shall serve the younger, Jacob embodies a challenge to every sanctioned arrangement of society. What he's saying by this is, listen, this is the way it's been always been done. This is the way it's been understood, right? The tallest, the smartest, the brightest, the best looking. But the inverted promise of God, of Jacob, embodies a challenge to every sanctioned arrangement of society. And there's a lot of ways we can apply this. Like race, like class, like socioeconomic background. Listen, why do you think Jesus spent time with the widow, the orphan, and the prostitute? Okay? It anticipates the younger, the older shall serve the younger. It anticipates the gospel affirmation. Jesus says this more than one time in his ministry. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. This is what Jesus meant by that. Yes, I understand that's the way the world works. I understand this is how it works. The whole world is organized around this particular idea, right? You know, the, the, Saul was a head taller than anyone in Israel. But Jake David's my choice, okay? The last shall be first, and the first shall be last. Jacob is a scandal from the beginning, as is the powerful grace of God. And it upsets the way that we normally organize life. That's what this passage is about. Listen carefully to these words that were written many, many years later by the Apostle Paul. He's trying to make the same point to his congregation that's being made right here. Brothers and sisters, okay? Paul's talking to the church in northern Greece. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. See, he even here uses the term called. Sometimes we, we want to shy away from, well, no, Abraham's called, Isaac's called, Jacob's called, the pastor's called, the music leader's called, you know, these people, the missionaries are called, but I'm just a regular Christian. No, you're not. There's no such thing. Live a life worthy of the call that you received. Every single person who's a Christian is called, okay? Brothers and sisters, think of what you were like when you were called. That's another way of saying when you became a Christian. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were noble birth. A lot of you didn't go to Harvard. <laughs> a lot of you weren't the best looking in the bunch. Okay, is what he's trying to say. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Listen, God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. See, here's our great challenge. Jacobson illustration is not allowing the culture, even the church culture sometimes, to define who you are. See? See, we talk a good game. I talk a good game. I don't follow the world's value system. I don't, you know, the world's values are not my values. I walk, you know, to the beat of a different drummer. Do I? Or do I really, in Christian ease, in Christian clothes, I really still value the things of the world. I still think in, in, in the ways of the world. When God says, you might think this way, I'm going in a different direction. In my kingdom, 
the older shall serve the younger. Our challenge is not to be defined by the culture. Listen, we know the gospel. I think many of us here could say it. I'm talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that his love comes in and revolutionizes our life. All the love that we've been seeking and that we seek so desperately from others and our achievements, we've been given in Jesus Christ. We live out of love instead of living to try to find love. We know the gospel, but we don't dare believe it all the way to the bottom of our lives. That's what the lake of Jacob will teach us over time. Let me say this, summarize of this message in a sense. I will never be all that God wants me to be. You will never be all God wants you to be until you learn to get out of your own way. That's the, that's, if you want to know what Jacob's life means, this is it. You will never be all that God wants you to be, the conflicted call of God. I will never be what God wants me to be until I learn to get out of my own way. Right? That's what this is about. Right? As Jason said when he was here uh, a few minutes ago, you know, we, we, um, uh, J- J- Jacob is blessed way beyond his measure, right? Before he ever breathes his first breath. The two nations are in your womb. Everything that he could ever want or dream for, he got before he ever breathed his first breath, but he doesn't realize it. And he spends much of his life trying to crawl, claw, claw after what was already given to him. You'll never be what God wants you to be. I'll never be what God wants me to be. We'll as a church never be all that God could want us to be until we learn to get out of your own way. The older shall serve the younger. It's not what you expected. It's far more than what you expected. Last point, it requires... Answering the call, it requires having eyes of faith. Okay, we're still in the faith game here. Doesn't get, there's no other way forward. We don't change. Abraham's the father of all those who believe. Jacob is his grandson. He has a different makeup, a different character. Maybe, maybe there's more chapters in the Bible on Jacob because, wink, wink, we're more like Jacob than we are Abraham. We're a little bit more self-absorbed. We're a little bit more self-reliant. We're a little bit more um, in conflict with others than we'd like to admit. But the way of faith is still the only way forward. There's only one way. And what you learn, in really in seed form here only in Genesis 25, is the eyes of faith. Watch how this story ends, verse 27. This opening story. The boys grew up. So you want to get to the point here. Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but uh, Rebekah loved Jacob. Isn't that interesting? Even though they knew many, many years earlier, okay, 40 actually, these these two boys are now 40 years old, that Jacob was the Lord's choice. Isaac disregarded it. Oh, that's all the, that, that was just something God said, and you know, that's really interesting. But I like Esau, because Esau the, is the quarterback of this family. Esau's the man's man, and that's the guy I like, right? And Jacob's kind of a, 
a um, mama's boy. Isaac, who had taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why his name is called Edom, which means red. Jacob replied, first tell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is my birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate it and drank it and got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Now, neither one of these two men, at the end of Genesis 25, these two brothers, no, I think both, neither one of them looks very exemplary. Esau this, is this sort of, you know, if I can't see it, it doesn't exist, get out of my way. He's had a kind of a, you know, I'd say an easy street kind of life. His father loves him. He has his father's got all the power and um, he's his father's son and he comes from a nice family. Abraham was a rich man. You assume Isaac was and he's just sort of, you know, this thing, this birthright thing, this little blessing of God, you know, you want that? Give me that stew. You can have it. Now, Isaac, obviously, excuse me, Esau obviously wasn't starving to death. That was a, he's an he's exaggeration, right? But what you're learning from Esau in this passage is that when it came to the things of God, they were of no value to him, right? I got the biggest bedroom. I got the nicest car. I got my father's love. What do I need that for? Now, Jacob is not, and certainly so far, he's not an exemplary character. He's not a deceiver, really. There's no, at this point, he's not deceiving his brother. There's no deception here. He, I want the birthright. You want to make a deal. But he is taking advantage of his brother's lack of interest, lack of spiritual values, you might say. He knows his, what his brother is made. And he says, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a play. Now, even though that is less than honorable in a way, here's why Jacob is ultimately honored because at the very least he says I don't understand what all this means this birthright talk but it's I think it's valuable I think the birthright what is the birthright by the way the birthright is the status of the firstborn it meant you're the head of the family back to what we were saying a few minutes ago in some ways it did mean you ultimately got a double portion of your father's estate when your father finally passes on your mom and your dad but see, in this culture, it meant, in this family, it meant something even more, plus, plus. You not only got the bigger bedroom and, and, and the nicer piece of land when dad passes on, you also get the promise that was from Abraham. Abraham, uh, Isaac, Esau becomes Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Because Esau thought this is not any value. Jacob said, I think there's something to this. Later in the Bible, this is a whole other sermon in itself, but the, the writer, one of the later prophets, summarizing this passage says this, talking about this passage. He says, God, the Lord said, you've heard this before, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. Right? Jacob have I loved and Esau have, because they're trying to make sense, Right? He's, by that point, he's perhaps talking about the nation of Israel that came out of Jacob and the nation of Edom that came out of Esau, right? It's a political statement. But what he's saying is, listen, 
When I look at Genesis chapter 25, the prophet's saying, listen, here's the only conclusion I can come to. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Because God said, before these children were born, before they'd done any good or any bad, God said, I'm choosing the younger one to be the blessed, the, 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 get the, first, the rights of the firstborn, and the older one is going to serve the younger one. And people have been forever and a day offended by this statement. The, the, um, the, the God says, e- Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. How dare God say something like that? How dare God be so capricious and, you know, so, and favor one person over another? All right. But when we are offended, it only shows that we're really missing the point. Okay. Any more than when Jesus says, generations later, unless you hate your mother and your father and your own children and your own life also. It's Jesus says. Unless you hate your mother and your father and your own life also, you can't be a disciple of Jesus. Now, does Jesus really saying you should hate your parents? Of course not, because that would contradict other things that he says. It's a simple um, comparison. He's simply saying this. Unless you love me more, unless your devotion for me, Jesus is saying, is greater, unless I take first place, then you can't be my disciple. That's what he's saying. And what he's saying in this statement, Jacob, have I loved, Esau, have I hated, is not I hate Esau. But he's saying, listen, I want, I want, I want to say something. I don't want anybody to miss it. That before either one of these children are born, I'm going to take the one that is the less attractive, the less good-looking, the less, you know, the less, the less, the less, and the one that no one has any great expectations to because he's the youngest born. And I want to say before these kids even come out that this is the one that I choose to make a statement about my grace and my love. It's like what he says to Moses in, in Exodus 33. Moses is having the same struggle with the, the, let's say, the, the, um, the, the, um, the, the character of God because God, Moses, Moses wants God to do what you and I want God to do. God, this person isn't worthy of your love. This person isn't worthy of your grace. Look what they've done. Look what she's done. And God said, listen to Moses. I'll have mercy on who I want to have mercy. Exodus 33. Or Exodus 32. Don't worry. Don't let me have my own value system. And this idea of the older shall serve the younger, you could say is an umbrella over the entire Bible, and it's God saying, listen, I don't look, don't expect me to act like the world. And although we live in a world where everything is organized on how good looking you are and how smart you are, or even how moral you are, that's not how it works with me. It's a, it, the ground is level at the foot of the cross and I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And the best way you and the best way I can make our way in the world is to get out of your own way. It's not about you. It's about what God has done for you. And to do that, you need to have eyes of faith because the world in every one of the realms of the world, I'm talking about the, the marketplace, popular media, the world is not gonna give you that message. Look at this last verse as a challenge. Paul's letter to uh, the Corinthians. So we fix our eyes. This is his advice to the same congregation he was speaking to in the last verse we read. Not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Boy, that's, that's a lot easier said than done. This is what Jacob's beginning to learn in the birthright. 
So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary. See? The things that, the things that crush our heart, that disappoint us, like my, you know, my last weekend in Coast, you know, these, these things are temporary. I can say to you right now with absolute conviction, despite that horrible weekend, that horrible end, that was the best year of my adult life relative to spiritual growth. That didn't change it. Maybe it heightened it because I learned a lesson that if the world hates you, it hated me first. Don't worry about it. Don't let that get you down, okay? Don't, don't, don't be confused by the temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. See, this is, this is a different kind of discipline. And if you and I want to make our way in the world, you, you will find reasons to quit and give up and be angry and throw in your chips and, 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 and fold your hand. You will find reasons to do that before the end of the week, okay, in your life. Because the world, God is in, in conflict with the ways of the world. That shouldn't surprise you. In that sense, it's not what you expected, right? But if you understand the grace of God and the call of God, he will be with you through these difficulties and challenges. Well, then all bets are off if you can get out of your own way because in the kingdom of God, the lowly, the despised, the things that are not, those are the people I choose, the humble. I'm gonna gonna put them in power so that I can tell the world about my grace and my love. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for these minutes this morning. Be with us, we pray. Help us, Lord, beginning with me. Help me to see, help us to see that yes, in a manner of speaking, saying yes to Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life means that sometimes it's not what I expected. Things are harder, more difficult than I thought they would be. But help me to have wisdom about that. Help me to know, Lord, that the reason things are not what I expected them to be at times in my life, in my calling, is because you are in conflict with the ways of the world. The world isn't organized in the way that you see the world, in, in, along the lines of the will of God. But help us to know that also that means that, Lord, your call in our lives is far more than we expected. Lord, what you give us is far more than we could ever dream, not to mention earn or achieve. Help us to see that, to get out of our own way. Help us to know better what it means, truly, in your word, in conjunction with your spirit, to see past the temporary, to see past the politics, to see past the disappointments, to see past the setbacks, and the one-upman-ishness around us, to see with eyes of faith, to reach through the circumstances and the trouble and grab hold of your promises and allow them to dictate our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.